Welcome to Say Sure, the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Elaine. And I am Scoot Magoo. And uh, we are back with another book club uh, where we talk about uh, some interesting books about music. Last time, uh, we didn't really talk about a book about music per se, uh, but I mean, we were close enough with with, uh, John Darnielle's latest novel. Uh, This time, though, we are we are getting back into more traditional uh, music books, and I mean I use that term lightly because uh, this week we are talking about improvisation. It's nature and practice in music by Derek Bailey, and um, for those who don't know, Derek Bailey was a uh, improvising guitarist, one of the first you know of the kind of like free jazz, free improvisation movement. Uh, of Europe in like the late 60s and 70s um, yeah he is it was just an amazing force for uh, sort of the practice of free improvised music and uh, his story is really fascinating um, you know especially just sort of later in life uh, I, I won't you know go too far in this but he uh, ended up developing some sort of like motor neuron disease you know something like uh, similar to ALS I believe Hmm. And uh, he ended up having to teach himself how to play guitar again. Oh and wow! So, yeah, so th- there's there's an album that's uh, off uh, on uh, Zadig Records called uh, Carpal Tunnel, that is literally just recordings of him slowly learning guitar, and you can hear the difference as the tracks progress. Hmm. Um, it's a really interesting idea, for sure. Um, but nonetheless, so yeah, this this book is. Um, I, I think, you know, Bailey intends this to be kind of an overview talking about, you know, sort of, I mean, the, you know, the subtitles right there, it's nature and practice in music, sort of what musicians are thinking in terms of when they're improvising their thoughts on the idea of improvising, but as well as uh, a number of cultural uh, traditions mm. that use improvisation and um yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack, I, you know, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess let's just, you know, let's dive in. I, I kind of want to know what, what you think about this thing. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, I was intrigued by the notion that in a relatively short book, he was going to tackle a very broad idea about mm. music. You know, it, it's... Uh, you know, we have read, even for this podcast, we've read much longer books about much narrower subjects. Um, you know, specifically, you know, Meet Me in the Bathroom comes to mind. Mm. You know, where, I mean, obviously, not not that that's not, you know, you know, a notable topic to discuss, but we're talking about improvisation, which is, I mean, you know, he, he lays the case that it's pretty foundational in a number of different genres. I mean, pretty much every style of music, you can either hear it overtly or it's you know it, it plays some role in you know the composition I mean, I mean one of my favorite examples that i pulled out was um a quote from yes uh oh, guitarist right. from yeah which yes. I, I i don't know why like i, I realized after the fact i didn't write down any of the actual people's names <laughs> which is not helpful but he talked with a guitarist for yes and i think it was when they were 
recording Tales from the Topographic Ocean, and he said, you know, I, you know, did you have to? I had to do it with an album. When we'd finished, I rushed home and learned two or, or two or three of the guitar breaks, basically saying that, you know, he improvised. Um, you know, he improvised Is it different Steve guitar. Howe, by the way, yeah, thank you. Sorry, uh, <laughs> no, that that's was relevant. I, I I just looked it up really quickly. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he improvised certain parts for the album, and you know, had to go home and, and learn it. Like he created something that actually made the record. That he, you know, he didn't go into the studio with it, you know, maybe just in his mind, and that was interesting. Where we don't, we, you know, we think of improv as like performance, or you know, you're specifically you're listening to something that's been improvised. Whereas with that, I mean, I don't know if I would have. Um, I mean, I guess with with prog rock improv, you know, improvisation, you know, you assume it's it, part of the process somehow, but to actually hear how, you know, kind of made it past the cutting room floor and it became an integral part of a record, you know, just, just goes to show, you know, what role this can play in, um, like in the compositional process. I mean, for me, I, I thought he did a pretty good job of, of talking about, again, a very broad subject mm. in relatively succinctly. Um, I, I think that it was really, um, fascinating, particularly, the earlier parts. I mean, right out right out of the gate, one of my favorite sections was uh, the Indian music section. Oh, same, um, same, yes. And just like, I think literally it was within the first paragraph, the first few paragraphs. You talked about uh, um, Hindustani, with you know Northern Indian, and Carnatic, the South Indian. Which actually, I was introduced to Carnatic classical music um, a few years ago. I got into an album by a a group called I think Sagara. Um, Sagara, I'm not, I'm probably I mean, we always mis- mispronounce things. Yeah. We just we have to own it. But I think it was uh, Wakla Zimple was a a Polish clarinetist. He did some cool like post minimalist, uh, kind of like uh, happy Colin Stetson is kind of what his music <laughs> sounds like to me. Um, and he collaborated with them on a record. And like I I had no idea what you know carnatic classical music was. But you know, listening to it now, or like thinking back to that record now, through what I learned um, through this book, I mean, it's really fascinating and, and kind of makes a lot of sense, honestly, to me. Because I, I think what was interesting was the idea that um, you know, Hindustani North was a little bit more. Um, I might be sw- swapping these. I don't think I am, but basically, Hindustani was more. You know classically trained like there was less strife in the reason you know it was much or in the region you know much much more um you know true to form and carnatic classical music or like the carnatic tradition in southern india you know much more strife ridden region you know kind of didn't have that infrastructure in place and it kind of lent itself more to improvisation because they they didn't have the you know the typical structure you, you might you know you might imagine when you're talking about you know, classical music, you're talking about, you know, traditional musical composition and, and, and um, performance. So yeah. the way he was able to weave together, you know, firsthand accounts with, you know, history and, and just, I thought it was really interesting and really did a great job of tying together some uh, common threads across, you know, a myriad of different cultures. And he probably explained Raga better than I've ever been able to understand it like and i mean i i just like i appreciate the hell out of that and it's so interesting the way he describes it especially framing it within the context of the whole book 
Um, yeah. I so sorry, I, I, I interrupted you. So just No, I mean that that was kind of my just my my you know big picture takeaway was Yeah. I, I mean that was my number one thought going into this book is how is he gonna I mean, just how's he going to do this? Yeah. <laughs> how's, I mean, how's he going to talk about such a, a really broad subject, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. going in, I mean, I, I was excited to read this, um, but I was also a little wary because, um, you know, Derek Bailey has a bit of a reputation for being like difficult, I guess, and, and just highly opinionated, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember hearing something that like he at one point just refused to record things. And I mean, you can, you can see a little bit of that in, um, there, I think there's a small chapter about recording improvised music where he's like, you know, what's even the point? Because it kind of defeats the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, we can kind of jump into that a little later. Cause I don't know if I totally agree, but, um, you know, I, I, I had a feeling going in that this was going to be, you know, some sort of like, you know, um, kind of like, dogmatic manifesto almost um when in reality it was you know anything but you know it it, he you know had a bunch of chapters that just sort of took the idea of improvisation and sort of explained it from certain angles is the best way i've been able to sort of explicate it you know so you have like these uh you know what he describes as like idiomatic improvisation where it's like you know sort of um has like a framework uh, around a certain musical idiom, you know, it, you know, we just talked about, you know, Indian classical music, you know, but he also, there's also a flamenco chapter, but then there's also, you know, jazz, rock, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he talks about, you know, his own experiences with uh, the trio Joseph Holbrook, uh, as well as the uh, music improvisation company and, you know, a bunch of uh, his, you know, um, a bunch of people that he's worked with, you know, he heavily interviews them and, you know, just, he, he basically attacks this from every angle you can get within the span of like 150 pages. And, um, I mean, you know, the one thing that I took away, um, was, was really how even handed it is like he, it felt like he, he was, you know, because I, I think when it comes to improvised music, I think it could be really easy to be like, no, co- composition sucks, et cetera, et cetera, you know? <laughs> and uh, I mean, I and believe, I, I think I, I sometimes think that <laughs> about what, 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 whenever I'm thinking about, you know, making music. Um, but, you know, for out of, like, out of all people, it's amazing for him to be like, well, you know, the, the, there are other ways of looking at this, you know, and just to, to have that multifaceted approach is, is really just endearing in my mind. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, he just does a great job of getting, you know, as broad a picture as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just, I really, really like that. And I, I loved seeing sort of, uh, I, I thought the whole chapter, I mean, I thought all the chapters were really interesting, but probably the one that interested me the most was about um, composition using improvisation, Mm. you know, and like aleatoric uh, ideas and whatnot. So, you know, he talks about, uh, he interviews Earl Brown and, you know, there's a chapter later where he talks to John Zorn about, um, you know, his, uh, uh, you know, I forgot what they call it, game pieces, Um, Mm. you know, specifically Cobra. And, um, you know, I, I actually didn't, I, I, that didn't click with me at first. Like I didn't realize that Zorn would be in this until like I opened the page up I, and I saw his photo <laughs> in it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, not to, um, not to spoil things, but like, I, I mean, I really love this book. Like, this, you know, reading this really got me, you know, inspired. You know, not only to, you know, I, I guess just because I, I, I personally feel a kinship with improvisation. Um, you know, not only in a musical way, but just in like a general creative way. Like that's always how I've worked is just jumping into something. Like I, I mm -hmm. don't like to, you know, laboriously pour over something until results happen. I just like to kind of jump in and just explore. And, um, you know, he, I, I don't know, just a, it really, it, it was just an inspirational thing for me. It was, it was definitely what I needed mm -hmm. to read. Um, you know, I, th it's probably my favorite book that we've read so far in oh, wow. like for, for book club, because I mean, th I mean, <laughs> let's face it. The last few books have been, uh, kind of clunkers. Um, yeah, well, it's <laughs> okay. Know, it's, I, 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 I do want to point out that I think I, I, I mean, I picked out a lot of those, so it's like nobody's nobody is uh, free of guilt here. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, part of it is just like you, you, you don't know what you're getting into until you actually read it. So, um, but you know, that being said, I mean, there were some things that I didn't totally agree with in this, and, and I mean, maybe this is just you know, I think we're coming at this from you know people who would probably identify more as like non-musicians than mm -hmm. anything and uh you know and more music listeners and i think that you know th th there's definitely a difference between you know listening to music and playing it mm -hmm. um you know th th there can be overlap to a point but you know there's definitely a difference and um th there was just yeah th there were just a couple things i mean i you know also i mean Maybe this sort of shows how old I'm getting, but uh, did you find the text in this thing to be really tiny? <laughs> uh yeah it it kind of <laughs> reminded me of um, I mean I guess not, not to segue too much, but when my professors in college would like print out <laughs> something for us to read, and it just for whatever reason always felt really really small. And I would say if there's one, um, kind of one overarching. Critique. I mean, sometimes the book felt a little too academic. Like it felt like I was reading a paper. I mean, I don't. I mean, mm. ultimately, I think I got a lot from it. I don't, I don't think it, it, you know, ruined the experience by any stretch. But certainly, sometimes it felt like um, it felt it felt a little scholarly. Which I mean, yeah. I guess take that for what 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 you will. I don't know if it was it was a certainly wasn't a deal breaker, but it definitely felt like at times like I was taking a taking a class. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely peppered with a lot of like academic academies, I guess, you know, where, you know, you're some of the phrasing and some of the word choice are just like, you know, it, like it almost feels like it, it's it, 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 there's a slight edge of like pretension in it mm. um, because like, you know, th there are other ways to like sort of express this one ideal. But for some reason, you feel like you need to sound profound. So you need <laughs> to write it like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. It's, yeah. I, I mean, I I think at the same time, there's a lot of musical terms that, you know, aren't really explained. But I think that, you know, it's, 
I, I don't I don't really know if it like that's not really the goal of the book. Like I think the idea is that you know you're interested in the music enough that you kind of already have an idea of what these things are, if only like a cursory knowledge of them. Um, you know, when he was just talking about you know basic like harmonic structure and things like that, you know, um, I, I you know or, or I think there, there's a part where he talks about like sort of that there's like an intervallic difference when it comes to like certain raga or what have you. And like I'm like okay like I, I I know what you're talking about but like not totally mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like I I have the I have the briefest of of understanding of that um yeah it it's, it definitely has that I mean I you know really my I mean I I think I my complaints are probably I I mean I think one I I just the book like the actual edition of the book is is pretty poor like when it comes to like the actual printing of it and things like that like it it, it feels like a uh, like a dover thrift edition of a book <laughs> in a way and like i i mean i i get that there really isn't a huge audience for um for a book like this but like you know it i i would love to see a reprint that like doesn't have the cover that it has and you know i actually like you know, f- feels like there's there's a lot of like time and effort into like the quality of the printing, um, and, and I'm not one to really, you know, kind of levy this complaint. Normally, I I just like I felt like it deserved better in a way. Um, yeah, I, I will say I was, you know, when I googled the book when you recommended it, um, I was surprised by the cover. It looked like a yeah, like if I found that in a record store as the cover for like a, you know like a, a soft jazz compilation album I don't I don't know if I would have been surprised uh, I mean yeah. not, 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 not not that that necessarily affects the the content contained with therein but it just it was like wow this is this is not what I expected <laughs> yeah you know, not what I expected for the cover I mean I, I I just don't get why you'd why you'd pick a trumpet like Derek Bailey plays guitar actually now that I think about it, I, don't, I don't know if he even talks to any trumpet players in the book. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, like, now I'm trying to think back. And I'm oh, like, wow. I, you know, I, I mean, is there a is there a more musical instrument like than the trumpet? Because I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if if you want to go like really normy, like you know, you put a vi- fucking violin on that cover, you know. Mm-hmm. But why a trumpet? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. And I guess while we're on the, on the topic of jazz. Uh, Instruments. I thought. I mean, this isn't necessarily like a you know an overarching critique. Um, I couldn't tell if he was trying to go, like kind of goad Max Roach into a you know into <laughs> into something, but I wrote it down where he said, you know, I put it to him that the apparently inexhaustible succession of innovators which characterized jazz in its earlier days appears to have dried up. And this, I think, you know, I think it was dated 1990. It's like, okay, well, you know, first of all, a few pages later, there's a picture of John Zorn. So I thought that was interesting on the face of it. Uh, and then, you know, I looked up the date to make sure it made sense. You know, Sonny Sherrick's Ask the Ages, that's kind of, that's considered a, you know, well-known jazz record from, it came out in 90, 91, I think. Um, I don't know, I just, in, in, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine in general. I just feel like the... You know, kind of the whole punk is dead mantra. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I don't really feel like a genre is necessarily dead. I mean, maybe like Gregorian chants. I but I think um, he was talking more about, um, you know, because I, I I think he would probably make a distinction between free jazz and like bebop. 
and I, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but like, you know, kind of like the, the Winton Marcellus's of the world and like the Branford Marcellus's of the world, you know, that I, it, it that there's kind of like this post bebop revival that just doesn't seem to like die in a way. Mm. And it just, it, it feels like, like a kind of like cultural necrophilia in a way. <laughs> yeah well that's a that's a that's a fun little term yeah it's i mean but but, but i i think that that's what he's kind of pointing at like sort of the the way that um like jazz has been co-opted by you know higher education and like academia as a whole and Mm -hmm. has in some sense like solidified into something you know and it doesn't feel like that there's a lot of movement when it comes to that form anymore um I think that's kind of, I, I at least that that's how I understood it. Um, and I mean, I totally get that because it, he, the thing is, like, if you go into like a jazz program now, you know, that's what you're studying. You know, you you it's not like you're studying, you know, fucking like Ascension. You know, you you you're, mm-hmm. you're studying like, you know, Charlie Parker. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. uh, like, and I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely like. Um, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's not true for every program out there, but I mean, there's, I, there's definitely like an overwhelming majority. It, it's kind of like, you know, going to like a classical, like composition school. Like I think mm-hmm. slowly, like there are conservatories that are, you know, starting to accept new music and things like that. But, you know, a lot of them are still stuck in the romantic era and like, you know, the, the you know, the Baroque and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's, kind of like the the like kind of the bigger thing that he's talking about but i totally know what you mean like it, it when he sort of it it felt like he was like that that max roach quote was just like a little a little weird um i mean like i said you know there it's not like i agree with everything that was here you know he has this sure. one quote he says um that this is uh, the important thing is to have an objective in improvisation, um, you know. And I'm like, I I don't know about that, because like I I mean, it, in some ways, like I, I look at his imp- at improvisation as sort of a way of letting go of things and not, and feeling for the present. And so you're not really having an objective in a way if you're if you're completely in the moment. It's more like you're reacting to what's happening. Um, but I, I, I think he, you know, I, I don't know if you disagree with that either. Like, I, I think that it's just like, I think, uh, I mean, this is from like, you know, at the beginning of the book. So like, I'm not, you know, I, sometimes, sometimes, uh, writers like this will like, you know, kind of shoehorn like a quote like this in here and then kind of slowly break it down over the book. Mm-hmm. so you know i and and so, like sometimes they'll like explain it more you know what have you so i don't know um you know th- th- there are definitely certain things like so i there's that uh interview kind of with uh gavin Bryars, uh who is part of joseph holbrook and um that he i so he can he can says um you know he considered sort of the the literal like the limitations and boundaries of improvisation to be like a kind of cage and um and i i found that interesting because i i don't really think of 
that as a cage in a way. Like I, I feel like the true cage is following the script, mm-hmm. you know. And so I like in my mind, improvisation is sort of like like yeah, that like there's a literal limit, like because you know if you are playing you know a guitar that is only using twelve tone equal temperament, you know you're only able to use like chromatic you know scales unless you want to do a bunch of bends you know or something like that you know like there are limits to what you're doing um for sure but i feel like improvisation sort of in a way it's like you're placing yourself in the cage but you realize that the bars aren't really there Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a difficult Thing, which I I think is kind of funny describing all of this because at the, at the in, in his introduction he describes sort of like the ineffability of improvisation as a whole that it's it's like a lot of people's description of it it really doesn't do it justice because it's not really something that is totally able to be analyzed because it's so in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and I really I love that like I I very much agree with that but. Yeah, I mean, there are just there's some interesting things here for sure. I I think if if I can sort of levy another um, another criticism here, I I mean I I think that sometimes you know the book tends to fall back on its interviews to the yeah. point that it it almost feels like it's like these mini profiles on these artists, um, and I I don't necessarily consider that a bad thing. Um, I I just think that like you know, sometimes it, it feels like that, like it kind of takes over and it's like, as opposed to having like more of a constructive, like uh, more of a constructed chapter, I guess, you know, in a more, uh, you know, trying to get certain ideas out of what this person's saying. It, it almost felt like it was more um, just being like, okay, let, let's just get all of this in here. And, um, you know, it's good. It's good and bad. You know, it, it all depends on how you look at it. Because I, I found a lot of the interviews to be really interesting. So, no, but I, I think you're you're totally spot on. That um, you know, the thing I, I noticed that early on is that there were a number of, um, or that you know, there were a number of quotes in a row, and I was like, wow, this this really, really pulling from the source material here. Which I mean, again, I, I think ultimately it worked out. I don't know if it was necessarily, you know, totally a bad thing, but it certainly was notable that there were yeah. just long you know he in the book he italicized quotes and there were just long paragraphs of italics um which um i don't know i, I mean there are some there are some great great quotes you know i definitely pulled out a number in my in you know my notes for this episode but you know i think it's, it's kind of the balance of again talking about this being having kind of an academic vibe that's something i, I would think of or i would get dinged for from my professors is you know, how much do you quote how much do you actually bring to the analysis and I think he did a I think he did a good job of analyzing I mean one of the one of my favorite um, takeaways which I think he uh, I believe it wasn't an italicized section so I feel like this is something he brought from his own research is in the organ section and just talking about just because you know obviously I was raised in you know a church setting like most people you know, in America that look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that like all the, you know, the voluntaries, the interludes, the postludes, how those are often frequently improvised and just how, you know, ingrained that is in just the, you know, the process of going to church and having, you know, having an organist 
provide the music for for that ceremony and it just it's so one of my favorite experiences reading really anything is when you read something and you can immediately tie what the author is talking about to your own life and for yeah. something that's i mean not that it, i mean i think obviously we all know what something you know improvisation is no matter you know what musical background you have you know it's still somewhat of a you know i mean the reason there's a book about it. it's somewhat abstract and kind of like what it means what it's for etc so to kind of hear okay like cool like there, there's a certain you know a certain purpose like practical purpose for um you know for this practice i mean i, I want to quickly before we move on yeah. and again i'm kicking myself for not writing down the actual quotes because uh, I felt like I t- took pretty good notes, but that's kind of a key aspect. But anyway, whoever <laughs> whoever you talked to for the flamenco chapter, uh, kind of to what you were saying is that um, he said, I prepare to technically reach anything I want to do on the guitar. And I thought that was just that's so succinctly described kind of the, the process of, you know, preparing yourself to, pa- to Paco Pena, by the way. Yeah, just, thank you. Yeah. Um, the fact that you know what actually comes out you know is improvised is kind of just spontaneous in the moment but he's prepared to you know technically he's prepared to produce that he's prepared to play that he's not just playing things that are random and kind of to tie tie in um or he's, he's not playing something just like oh, i'm just hitting notes just because i have a guitar and i don't know what i'm doing he knows what he's doing mm. and he's just kind of like letting it flow out and i think probably my favorite chapter talked about that to an extent is uh the audience chapter um, yeah, and there was a section you know that said invoking professionalism was kind of how this little section started off. You know, the ability to provide at least a standard performance, whatever the circumstances, you know, usually has a uh, deleterious effect on imp- improvisation, causing to be confined to the more predictable aspects of idiom or vocabulary. I think that being the distinction between, um, you know, just kind of a. Ra- it, it, it's hard because there's kind of that distinction of like, you know, why is Picasso art, but, you know, the obscure drawing that my four-year-old made, not. And I think it just, like, you know it when you hear it. Like, you know when someone, you know, knows what they're doing. You know, like when John Zorn's improvising. Like, you know the difference between that and some random, you know, Joe Schmo picked up a saxophone and it's just like, you know, painfully, you know, fa- you know flailing around trying to play something. Like, you know the difference. And I think just the his positioning of, you know, the active role of the audience. And I think there, there was a, another quote where he said, "You have to train the audience. What we're doing here is we're inventing this as we go along, and you two are involved in this experience. It's never going to be this way again." And I think that was, I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those things where when it's said, you're like, "Oh, but but of course." But I guess I never really thought of it like that. It's just that, you know, when you go to any number of musicians concerts you're expecting okay i hope they play this song hope they play that song but especially when it comes to jazz you know you're just you're going to see them play like you're going to experience what that you know what that band leader what that composer what that performer has to offer in that specific performance and i think there's something really you know i think just that passage alone did a great job of of just summarizing you know kind of the value of free or improvisation like the value of why this is such a unique musical device um mm. so you know, I, I think that's kind of you know there's a key aspect right there is is sort of the idea that you know it's it's a tool it's not like you know the, you know it, it's it's not like when we talk about improvisation we're just talking about someone like zorn or derek bailey or 
you know, even, uh, I don't know, like, um, fucking, uh, Peter Brotsman, you know, I, it's, it, it, this is a tool that is being used, you know, in, and it's being used in innumerable ways, you know, from, you know, something that's more constructed, you know, that, you know, sort of leaves room for the performer to kind of do what they want within an already composed framework as opposed to or just completely going nuts and just going free you know where like there is not there is no form going into everything or you know you have you know stuff that's in between which i i kind of look at as as you know zorn's game pieces Mm -hmm. um it's it's really interesting just to sort of see that you know that this is not um you know there are a couple times that he he makes note that like um you know improvisation or i I guess not it it shows up once that he notes that like improvisation really isn't doesn't or free improvisation has little to do with experimental music in a way because it's kind of it's like its own thing but i think it's kind of relegated to that area of music because of how foreign it is to a lot of people uh which i found really interesting i what i also found interesting was sort of his um he he definitely had like a clear delineation between like free jazz and free improvisation uh which which i found really interesting and it's something that i um i note a lot when i listen to music is that there is definitely a difference um even though it's it, sometimes it can be difficult to, to hear it um you know it's it yeah it, there, there, there's a lot to sort of run around with here i mean you know to to kind of go back really quick you know that whole idea of like you know what's the difference between you know uh a jackson pollock painting and you know the paint splatters that show up you know when i'm painting the house you know <laughs> uh and like you know the idea that like you know you know what you're you know like like kind of like this idea of like intention and uh, you know that's always something that i've i've had a complicated relationship with because i i, I think there's like you know, people think that, you know, of like that walk before you can run sort of mentality. And I, I agree with it to a point, but you know, I, there, there's a limit and, you know, I, I, I think he, you know, Derek Bailey does a great job of sort of talking about this in, um, the chapter on, on Indian music, or at least the, his, his interviewee, uh, in that section, which I'm going to look up his name because, uh, I am also, not great at uh, <laughs> keeping these names. Um, let's see. Where is it? Uh, Viram Jasani. Um, yeah. So, you know, he was sort of talking about like how they teach improvisation, you know, in, in the Indian classical tradition where they just like study with these teachers and they kind of have to like, go their own way in a sense like they, they kind of have to figure this all out for themselves mm-hmm. and like the teacher is there to guide them but not tell them what to do and like i i, I think if you if you frame that whole idea of like walk before you can run w- within that like i i think you get some interesting ideas because i i, I think that there's like I, I feel like that's the way to do it you know i like, like it's because you know what when i look at you know, walking before you can run. Like all I see is just like, oh, you have to do your scales again and again and again until you know them like the back of your hand. 
where like I've always had an issue with that. Like, you know, I, I'm like, I, I don't want to learn scale, dude. Like I, I, I just want to, I want to go and use that scale. Like, you know, and like, like I, I think that's, that's the difference. And I think improv, I think that's what makes improvisation so interesting is that you are learning as you go that like you are walking and you're running at the same time in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, like, when it comes to, like, more, you know, that, that sort of free improvisation where people are like, oh, it just sounds like they're doing random shit. It's like, yeah, like, they, you know, the the difference is that, you know, they, I think it's it's not necessarily that they've, um, that they're like, oh, you know, like, I, I've intended this for, to be like this. It's more like they've spent the time, you know, going through, you know, what's sonically possible with their instrument and figuring out what they can do and how they can do it and then they're kind of you know it's like it's it's like they're choosing the best thing at the best time mm-hmm. you know it's i don't know i i just i find that whole um that whole argument to be really fascinating like i don't think there's a uh there's a definitive answer i think it's you know very relative depending on the person mm-hmm. but you know just as like i i, I just yeah, you know, I I can remember being um, I can remember being in college, and my uh, my advisor I was taking an independent study with him, and uh, it was like a creative writing study where I was writing like a novella, and I came in with this thing, and I was really excited about it, and it was you know kind of out there, kind of weird, and he was like, yeah, you you need to like slow down on this, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always hated that. <laughs> like and i mean to be fair he i mean he made he made the right call at that time because i really didn't know what i was getting myself into because it wasn't like i had written like i had been regularly writing for that long at that time but you know not too long after that like when i started you know uh when i started grad school and things like that you know at that point i had probably been writing every day for i don't know at least two years Mm -hmm. i'm guessing and, you know, I, I just would just go with it, you know, and it was easier then, you know, so it, but, but it's, it, 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 it sucks to be told that, you know, to, to walk before you can run. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I, that's, that's a big tangent. Um, because I mean, I like o- overall, I mean, I, I, I really loved reading this thing. It was just such a, it was such an interesting read. It was so short too, and it just felt like this book that I want to have on my shelf uh, for the rest of my life. You know, just because I like I think it's it's it, it reminds me of like um, like D T Suzuki's uh, introduction to Zen Buddhism that it's like it, it's this taster that you just feel like you can always go back to, mm-hmm. like because you know you you're never gonna quite get to the bottom of everything. Because you're always going to look at something in a different way every time you go back to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I the, I have some quotes too that I found really cool. Um, if if you want to go through these, a couple of these right now, um, I think I you know actually to, to go back to that uh, walk versus run sort of thing. You know, John Stevens's interview where he you know I think he's talking about um, it's in the chapter teaching improvisation. He says, um, studying formally with a teacher might be the right way to achieve specific aims, but to do only that is a very distorted view of approaching a musical instrument. 
It has to be realized that a person's own investigation of an instrument, his exploration of it, is totally valid. And, like, I, I just, I love that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I think another one was, um, you know, one, one reason why the standard Western instrumental training produces non-improvisers, and it doesn't just produce violinists, pianists, cellists, etc., it specifically it pr- produces specifically non-improvisers, musicians rendered incapable of attempting improvisation, is that not only does it teach how to play an instrument, it teaches us that the creation of music is a separate activity from playing that instrument. Mm. Which I, I was like that, like I like again, like I just loved some of these quotes. Um, I guess the final one that I will go is is near the end. It's um, uh, this interview with uh, Frederick uh, Rizuski. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, uh, in 1968, I ran into Steve Lacey on the street in Rome. I took out my pocket tape recorder and asked him to describe in 15 seconds the difference between composition and improvisation. He answered, in 15 seconds, the difference between composition and improvisation is that in composition, you have all the time you want to decide what to say in 15 seconds, while in improvisation, you have 15 seconds. (laughs) His answer lasted exactly 15 seconds and is still the best formulation of the question I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I, I, yeah, just there's so many great, like little little quotes that just really spoke to me um, yeah. and sort of my own like desires in creation and like creating art mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I mean unless I mean do, like do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, I mean I think we've covered a lot of great ground. I think that that speaks to you know how much he was able to pack into a relatively short you know you know short book. Um, the two points that I think we we haven't. Um, actually, probably, well, they're intertwined. I was in the Baroque section. It was a quote that said, one of the strengths, one of the unique qualities of improv is that it can, on occasion, transform performance into something much better, much higher than expected. Um, and I think there was a separate quote where it's, you know, kind of talking about the, you know, the value of the performer's contribution versus what, you know, what the composer actually wrote. And I forget who, who was speaking. Again. I think that was Earl Brown. Yeah, it was the, you know it was described as an absolute artistic crime, um, and I feel like that that battle between you know play you know play what you've it kind it kind of reminds me of a conversation of the Mountain Goats every time they tore through or at least you know pre COVID it seems like every time they tore through Seattle they appeared on a a really well-known indie radio station and they would perform you know, perform a set and then talk to the host you know in between was songs. it kxp yes it was yeah. thank you i couldn't remember the uh the acronym or yeah. the, the abbreviation uh the call sign whatever you know what i mean yeah you, 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 you know what the radio is anyway um i actually I, I don't it's 2022 yeah. scott <laughs> but the last time they went obviously before covid was uh, uh right after their album in league with dragons came out and they recorded that album with Owen Pallet. And uh, I think he either produced it or was you know, really involved in the kind of in the studio. In any case, you know, John Darnielle, he talks about like, he, he loves to ad lib when he's, he's performing. Like he might you know, change up how he's strumming the chords, like kind of like add a few stops and breaks here, here and there, like just kind of make it, you know, shift, shift it up as, as you get to, you know, several bars into the song. 
And Palette, you know, obviously he comes from a much more, you know, he's a violinist, comes from a much more composed background, was like, just, you know, play, play what you wrote, you know, play what you wrote. And I feel so conflicted because, you know, as a listener, I love the value of being surprised, of, you know, having kind of a, you know, an artist bring their own unique flavor to something. Even a song I love so much, you know, they're kind of adding a little bit of, of extra oomph to it. But at the same time, I... I, I, there's a reason I love that artist and love the songs that were created originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I don't really have an answer or, you know, a definitive opinion on that. I just think it, it's a, that was a fascinating idea. It's just that, you know, kind of, you know, what's the artistic value or I guess, you know, to, to quote again, the artistic crime of sticking to exactly what the composer wrote or, you know, adding some improv, adding some, you know, kind of flavor here and there, adding some additional moments and, and some interesting moments you might only be able to hear once in that moment, hear live, kind of like the other quote I read, is that you're experiencing something perhaps for the first time and perhaps, you know, for the only time. Um, so I think that that's, I feel like that speaks to the power of, of improvisation, both positive and negative. It's just, you know, in the moment when an artist brings to a performance, it could enhance it. It could kind of dash your expectations of what you thought you might hear. Um, and just, you know, kind of subtle twists and changes to things, you know, kind of outside of the idea that a performance that is entirely improvised, um, the kind of the, what deviating from the composition can do and, and kind of why this book is valuable in the first place or why this discussion is valuable in the first place. Is it something that I think the average music listener is... is you know, they expect to hear the song that they, you know, paid to hear, you know, paid to see. Um, maybe they're not expecting to hear just a deviation or whatever artistic, you know, artistic infusion that the performer brought to the table. Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's, I kind of you know, feel I, bad that it's a little bit of a dead end, but just, I, I thought that was interesting is that I, I don't know, I don't know which one's more valid necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely interesting, I think, especially just considering how, both of us consume music you know is is mostly you know as a result of just hearing these recordings and i mean do you, you don't really listen to a ton of like uh live albums right um not usually um but sometimes i mean i think one of my favorite this is not i mean if we're talking about <laughs> um like art, artistic music so to speak um ACDC Live was the first CD. First CD I ever bought was Meteora by Linkin Park. I bought that with my own money. Um, the first CD I ever owned was ACDC Live because my friend's Catholic grandfather told him he couldn't own it anymore because it was satanic. Um, which it, I don't agree with. He was right. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't agree with that premise, but I'm glad that it ended up with me having this CD. Um, but the opening to that, uh, I don't think it was one concert. I think it was just different performances from across several years that they put into an album. But in any case. Um, the opener was Thunderstruck, but of course they are playing it live. So they have the audience go, ah, 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 mm. like they're, they're in, it just, I mean, I know that's kind of stretching, you know, you know, stretching the definition of improv and kind of extending this conversation, but just the idea that you're not, you're not hearing what you're actually hearing can take on a whole new life in the live setting. I yeah. think was was really really cool and again this is me listening to it when i was i mean in middle school so this is this is me coming to some form of improv at an early age and having a positive experience so you know as much as that 
says, I guess, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's, like, I think part of the draw of improvisation is, you know, kind of the risk of it. That, like, there's a chance that this could all just go to shit really fast. And, you know, like, but it doesn't always. And when it doesn't, it's, like, fucking amazing. You know, <laughs> uh, I I remember I, I listened to this um this interview with uh, the the techno producer Surgeon, um and he described that like they I I think he like would almost try to like trip himself up at times, or like if something would go wrong like tech wise he would just try to work with it as much as possible and just try to see like how far he could have it just fuck up before he could just take it back you know, <laughs> and it's like. That is so, like, interesting, you know, just to, to have, like, these, you know, just to be in that exact moment that, you know, you're, you're not you're not thinking about, oh, like, this recording needs to be perfect because I have, you know, X many followers who need to, you know, who need to approve of this content, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, just what is happening right now and what can I do to do this best? And, you know, it, it's just like there is no answer for that because it, it is just different every time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, this was just such a great, great book to read. I mean, if, if anybody is interested in, you know, improvisation or just, you know, uh, even experimental music in general, because I think it covers a lot of ground in that, you know, I, I think this is just a great read. And it's just super short, too. So, you mm-hmm. know, you're really getting, you know... Um, you're getting a lot, but it's it's, you know, it's it's not like it's it's this you know thousand page textbook, you know. It's yeah, so yeah, just I, I freaking great read. Uh, really glad that we that we covered this thing. Um, so I guess with uh, with that in mind, unless you have anything else you want to add, do you uh you want to talk about some albums of the week? I would love to. Yeah. What you uh what you got? Yeah, so in the era of you know, if you're willing to pay the the premium, you can pretty much own any record you want by <laughs> going on Discogs and finding it. Uh, this is a story uh, about me being glad that I waited. Uh, there, this was one of the. Lo- I mean, I think eventually I'll try to own everything by this band, but I've we've talked before. I've reached the stage where, eh. Like, uh, yeah. you know, uh, the stage of the discography where, like, I kind of want to say that I own everything by this band, but they fell off just a little <laughs> bit. Um, so this was, like, one of the last releases of theirs I needed. And they, you know, they had, I think they had a copy available or it was, you know, uh, at Bull Moose. Uh, I think it might have been the whole, like, you know, like, w- when it we can get it for you, you know, it's available, like, we'll try to get it for you, but it's lighted up, but yeah, special order, we'll try to get it for you, lit, lit up green. But it was, like, almost 20 bucks, and I think used, and I'm, I think it was just because it was a, a European import or something like that, and I was like, ah, I don't know, like, it just, that's a, you know, I've already bought a few records for this band that, were, you know, were a lot more affordable, and uh, I'm not sure about that. Well, fast forward, I think a few months later, and the same record, uh, six bucks, and I was <laughs> like, well, you know, you know, bam, bam, thank you, ma'am. And I'm glad I waited, and I'm glad I have it now. And it is uh, 17 Seconds by The Cure. Oh, okay. Um, it's the, what's weird is that it's the same exact 
you know, European import. Like, it's, it's not a different version. It's just for whatever reason it costs, you know, almost $10, $12 less, which I will take. Um, this came after, uh, depending where you were, Boys Don't Cry, Three Imaginary Boys, kind of their more upbeat, dancier, you know, like borderline pop punk, power pop take on like their you know, post-punk style. Um, this is quite a shift. Uh, I actually, like, cause I, I, you know, I'm listening to all these, all these albums in hindsight, so to speak, you know, decades later, I'm just kind of listening to them as they, you know, as I collect them and then after the fact looking. And I was surprised because this is a much, like very, very stark, like obviously, you know, this, you know, the song boys don't cry, like, like boys don't cry. Like it's very, like, it's a basically a pop song. And 17 Seconds is much, much darker, like much more, you, much more goth. You know what's really... sad is that I, um, I, w- when you said boys, I, I, I got the song Boys by, um, uh, was it uh, Gloria Estefan <laughs> stuck in my head? Yeah, very, <laughs> very, very similar. Uh, yes. Very similar I mean, it, they, they were definitely <laughs> contemporaries, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure Gloria Estefan produced that album. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But, anyway, <laughs> but, but yeah, Sorry. it's um, you know, it's much drearier. It's much uh, I don't know. I guess I expected because down the line, you know, albums like you know, Faith, Pornography, um, the top's a little weird. It kind of gets into it does a little bit more experimental stuff. But certainly, I expected it to kind of come more in the middle of those albums, and the fact that they went from you know. Uh, you know, light to dark very quickly. Uh, I also was pleasantly surprised because I think I my introduction to them was their greatest hits compilation that I got from the library, like you know our town library way back mm. in the day. And I don't, I you know didn't always know what album certain songs came from. Uh, A forest was always one of my favorite songs of theirs, and I forgot that it was on this album, or I found out it was on this album, and it was really cool. You know, it was very distinct intro very distinct guitar line um yeah just a really really cool listen i'm glad that i got it at a much reduced price and i'm glad i finally uh finally own it and i think at this point uh i'm just deciding whether to get past the uh uh i don't know i i don't mind wish like what wishes is kind of just their alt rock album it has you know has friday i'm in love which is a nice song but yeah. it's it's certainly not like like it followed up disintegration, which is considered one of their best and is is a you know very very moody, very atmospheric. Uh, but then you have you know wild mood swings, which is where they really just become like a an alt rock band. Um, and then that was the nineties, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it was late night. And then you know blood flowers is considered one of their worst albums. And then the cure. I think four thirteen dream has has its defenders, but it's kind of like yeah. Um, supposedly they're releasing a new album. Uh, I think they've been releasing a new album for like the last three years. Yeah, well, they, they've been talking about it. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. like you know they like oh we're releasing a new album and then oh we're, you know like every every summer it feels like oh no this is the year and then I mean hasn't just... my bloody Valentine been doing the same thing? At least they actually did it. Like I mean way way back in uh, 2013 because that was the thing with them is that after Loveless supposedly Kevin Shields was working on an album you know, to some capacity for, like, 20 years or something like that. And at least he finally came through. I mean, for them, I think it's only been... It's only been, like, 15-ish years, so... 
Um, I just it's interesting to me. Like, why not just wait? Like, what, like why not just wait till you actually have the album done and say, okay, we're releasing it. Like, why? Like, oh, it's it's coming. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't get the, the appeal of that. Yeah, we we we've circled around this, you know, kind of like the uh, the announcement of the announcement too. <laughs> Yeah, except exactly. except I mean, that this is like even like more meta somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like announcing that at some point you'll be announcing the announcement. Like it's just <laughs> it, I don't know. It just I don't really like because I feel like you're just you're building up your you know building up your fan base only to like knock them down when they're like oh well, I guess that didn't happen. Yeah, Which but it's like kind of, it's I, I like, mean what, the the cure is not like you know starving for a fan base. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, they have. It's one of those. Like, I feel like they've. You know, they've obviously they're one of those bands reached a point in their career where, um, this is probably this is putting a negative spin on it, but like, they're always gonna be the like pretty much every fan's gonna leave a concert they go to disappointed because there's just there's no way they're gonna be able to play everyone's favorite songs. Mm. Like, they just have so so much music to pick from that you know you're not gonna be able to touch on everything. Like that career. I mean, speaking of. You know, bring things full circle. Speaking of having a unique live experience, like I feel like anytime you see uh, see a band over time that gets to that level, like it's going to be a unique set list just because there's no way, no way possible they can even come close to playing all their songs. Because obviously they're going to want to play the hits, they're going to want to play some deep cuts. Um, man, they're just really making me want to see them. Like I think that would be really fun i yeah i that would be cool but i mean i would want to make sure that i would i'm in like the nosebleeds because i I really don't want to see robert cures robert here robert smith's face uh (laughs) up close frankly (laughs) i i i just i i don't want to pay money to see that (laughs) no offense but no you know what i don't know if that's a that's a thing you could say and then follow it up with no offense yeah, like, you know what? Fine, like, some, some offense. Is, is that the opposite of that? Is it... Yeah, you're like, like I like basically you said like I don't want to like I don't want to see his face in any capacity. No offense. Like that's that's a tough. <laughs> no, yeah, um, that, 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 it's a dick move. But I mean, like, I it was just I don't know what happened to Robert Smith, but like he just like I I don't know if it's just the makeup or or what. Yeah, but, I, I like, think it's made worse by the fact he still does the like that. It's it's just yeah. It makes, it exacerbates everything. Uh, to that yeah. effect, uh, I'll turn it over to you. Is, uh, it's just creepy. Man. There's one specific sports show I watch where they, they, they'll they follow up like a not-so-charitable phrase by saying, with all due respect. And it's kind of, it's kind of an inside joke where it's like, like you, you could say, you could as long as you follow it up or, or open it up by saying, with all due respect, you could kind of say whatever you want. Like, no matter, no matter how, how mean it is, you're, you can get away with it. He's like, oh, well, I, I said, with all due respect. Like, I, you know, I, I, I paid them there, too. You, know, I, you I fucking suck, by, but, you know, yeah, with, with all due by, respect. Yeah, exactly. I followed it up by saying that, you know, he, he'd probably be better off breaking his leg and never playing again. But, with all due respect, you know, there you go. So, oh, I guess also, you know, you know final point, part B. Uh, we were listening to this, or I think I had mentioned it, and Lauren was like, "The cure to what?" Like out of nowhere, on. <laughs> and I was like, "You know what? I don't know. I guess life, maybe." Yeah, um, the, the, that 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 sounds like that that sounds like what that would be the cure for. <laughs> I I always thought about how, um, like, if if the cure ever did like a Fourth of July like like uh, party, that all of their fireworks would be black. <laughs> I just. 
And that just makes me laugh so much. <laughs> just thinking of that. Just and just saying just talk about pain, you know? <laughs> just, anyway. My um it's funny, my I have a similar story for my album of the week in that um I will always check Bull Moose for um you know, a couple of core artists. And uh a couple of weeks ago I found them and I was so psyched to see this thing used and uh you know then i got it and it's i mean it's still my album of the week but i'm the uh the jewel case is just busted you know just like the hinges are like not on so like mm-hmm. i i actually had a tape i i the tape worked by the way i i taped um i kind of taped the cover back to the jewel case essentially <laughs> and it's so janky but like it works and that's all I care about because um, this is uh, House Deluge by Einsters and Neubauten. Okay. Um, please look up the album cover for this as well uh, because I I love this album cover so much. <laughs> um, it, it is just, it is one of the best, like, because I, I love really funny album covers and, and this is just like, this is peak that for me. Um. I'm looking hey. up now, but I, I, I'm yeah. trying to, I'm trying to transcribe what you said to, to it's a lot of uh, big German words. I I understand know about and just type in so it's H A U S D E R L U G E, and you should see it. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, but I don't know. anyway, this is uh yeah like industrial rock i guess i just think of it as like industrial music um you know if you're familiar with answers and Noe bowden you know it's you kind of know what you're getting into it's kind of dancey but it's also kind of vicious in its own way um and blix of Argale just fucking kills it on vocals and just everything and uh yeah great great little album very happy to have it uh have you found it nice. yet Oh, there we go. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, sometimes yeah. you gotta. Sometimes you just gotta. Ah, oh, I love that album <laughs> cover. <laughs> it's just like, like what? Like, okay, but the, like the real question is, is, is that urine coming out of the horse? <laughs> what? Right? Yeah. I know. I, like you, you have to, you have to, you have to ask yourself like the, the important questions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I hope so. Otherwise, that's well. I mean, we're, we're kind of yeah. We, we, I was gonna we, say we're off the rails, but I don't. Oh, I don't think we, no, I don't we, think we, we know we, where the track is. At this yeah, point. exactly. Just... Like the tra- track's long gone. I mean, you know, yeah, the, 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 the say... minute we started, the minute I started shitting on uh, fucking Robert Smith for no reason, you know. Well, <laughs> maybe not for no reason. But... <laughs> Still, not nice to say. Um, in any case, uh, we are gonna let this. I, I, I think we we should just end this now. Um, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. Talk to you later. Bye.